great future. We're talking real money. Crypto, crypto, crypto. Oh my gosh, I'm so tired of cryptocurrencies, I can't stand it. Particularly Bitcoin. What a... Okay, I'll give you blockchain. You can have that, okay? You good now? Bitcoin is a dumb idea. And it just gets dumber all the time. We're going to talk about it again today on the daily edition of Talking Real Money. And I hope it'll be the last time for a while because I hope that all of you will stop thinking about it. But I know you are because it's in the news. <sighs> the primary reason it's in the news is because it does stupid stuff. And it's funny. The only people I can find who are excited about Bitcoin are Bitcoin freaks. I just don't see a lot of mainstream interest. Okay, Bitcoin freaks are just outright freaks or people who can afford to lose a small fortune in pursuit of a speculation. Otherwise, I don't get it. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about why you shouldn't try and get it. There are plenty of reasons. And then one listener sent me what may be the best reason. <laughs> I love this story. This is from Reuters. And uh, apparently there's a, a woman by the name of Marin Altman who is both a Bitcoin investor and an astrologist. And she has a million people following her on TikTok. I don't get TikTok either, so color me old. Anyway, she's 22 years old, and she claims she predicted the price correction in Bitcoin on January 11th when it dropped. Get this. One day, Bitcoin dropped 21%. That is more than the stock market has ever fallen in a single day. And yet people talk about Bitcoin as if it's a hedge against stock market volatility, as if it's a currency. Uh, excuse me. If you had $42,000 in Bitcoin last week and you went out to buy a car on Saturday but you weren't going to sign the paperwork until Sunday. Well, let's say Monday. The, the, the dealer's closed. We'll give it a day. Dealer's closed on Sunday. You're going to go in on Monday, and you've got the exact right amount. $42,000 for the car. You, have it, you had it on Saturday, but now you go in on Monday morning to get the car, and you go and open your little Bitcoin wallet, of course, if you have the password, and we'll get to the password issue later, uh, if you have the password, and you look and you go, oh, darn, I only have $33,000 now. Oh, I'm $9,000 short of the car. If you were going to buy the car, you had 42000 in a bank account on Monday, at a bank in dollars, and on Monday, you were going to buy a $42,000 car. Is there any chance? Come on, be honest. Is there any 
chance short of the United States becoming the Weimar Republic, which it's not about to do, any chance you would only have $33,000 in your bank account come Monday? Hmm? Of course not. You wouldn't even think twice about it. That's the problem with Bitcoin as a currency. You think twice about it. It's not a currency. Hmm. So it's not a currency. Well, what is it good for? Good God, y'all. What is it good for? <laughs> My answer would be just like the next lyric in the song. Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Okay, if it isn't enough that astrologers are now predicting Bitcoin fluctuations, <laughs> uh, let's talk about some of the other goofy stuff. Oh, I was going to mention the password thing. There's a guy out there. You may have seen the story because people are talking about Bitcoin, even though Bitcoin is stupid. There's a guy out there who had a bunch of Bitcoin in an account. A couple hundred million dollars worth at the current ridiculous, stupid prices. But he can't get it. Why? He lost the passcode to his Bitcoin wallet. Well, remember, this is not like forgetting your password at Bank of America. If you forget your password at Bank of America, there's someone at Bank of America who's going to be able to find that for you. There is no one at Bank of Bitcoin who is going to help you reset your password. Your password is your password is your password, and no one knows it except you. Good for criminals, bad for forgetful people. So he forgot his password. So far, he has entered it eight times. Trying to rack his brain to remember what it is. You've done that, right? particularly if you do one of those complex passwords. So now he has two more chances or his Bitcoin is gone forever. Two chances to get a password that he cannot even come close to recalling. How would you like that? Hey, if you got money in the bank, you forget your password. Sorry, it's ours. You can't have it anymore. Yeah, you wouldn't bank with that bank, would you? It gets dumber and dumber and dumber. So, let's see. What are the arguments for Bitcoin? Let's let's talk about a couple of them. Uh, one, it's supposed to be, like gold, a good hedge against future disasters. Really, that's the only thing gold is possibly good for. And my theory is that it, it, it in a in a true global economic disaster, even gold isn't worth anything. Well, how much is Bitcoin going to be worth? Let's say we have a global economic disaster and the, the internet goes down. Yeah, your, your gold, you can kind of still use that, right? Maybe. But can you use your Bitcoin if you can't get online? Nope, not worth a thing. So it's not a great hedge against disasters. Now, there is some conventional wisdom that says, as a hedge, you should have up to about 5% of your portfolio in gold to um, cover yourself against huge inflation or something. So people are using that argument. Well, have Bitcoin too. Well, let's think about that one for a minute. 
gold, all of the gold in the world right now is worth approximately $10 trillion. Okay? Just give you some perspective. $10 trillion. All of the uh, stocks in the world are worth just a bit less than $100 trillion. Bitcoin and all of the other cryptocurrencies out there, Ethereum, Ripple, whatever, you know, Diet Ripple, Ripple Light, Ripple with Cheese, you know, whatever, um, sour cream flavored Ripples. They, all of those, all of those combined are worth a half a trillion dollars. A half a trillion versus 10. Hmm. Sounds to me like all of the cryptos are only worth about 5% of gold. So if you follow conventional wisdom, well, how much crypto would you put in your crazy portfolio if you wanted to use it as a hedge? At a million bucks, using the 5% gold rule, we're talking $2,500. Is that going to make a difference? I think not. We talked about Bitcoin as a currency, in terms of being useful as a currency, no currency should be fluctuating 21% in a day. No currency since the Reichmark back in in, in the teens, the tw early 20s, mid -tw early 20s, in Germany, I mean, rarely has a, a currency fluctuated anywhere near that much. And, and I wouldn't want to live anywhere that had a currency that could fluctuate 21%. Well, why would you go buy a currency that could fluctuate 21% a day? Doesn't that strike you as a bit stupid? Now, the other argument is, well, the government can't track you. Okay, I guess that works for the conspiracy theorist crazies. But the rest of us, where do we have our money? In a bank account. Where do we invest our money? in dollar-denominated securities. Who do we have to tell about it? The government, state, federal, local, whatever it might be. It's the price we pay for living in a society like this. Otherwise, we would just be, uh, you know, living off the land bartering stuff. Do you want to go back to that? Yes, I know some of you do. Nut jobs. Um, anyway... So, uh, it's why do you need, do you really, in your day-to-day -day life, need an anonymous currency? I know I don't. I mean, I'm technically, if I make money on Bitcoin, I'm still supposed to pay taxes on it. So how anonymous is it, really? So that's silly. The only people who need an anonymous currency. Who are they? Criminals. <laughs> they want to hide money from the government criminals are you a criminal okay if you I, I know i see a couple of you raise your hands if you are uh, go ahead and be bitcoin people the rest of you why are you buying bitcoin i'll give you the answer here's the answer you ready because you believe you'll get rich quickly right why do so many of us buy lottery tickets we know they're not good investments. We buy them because we want to get rich quickly. That's why you're buying Bitcoin, right? Right? Well, then quit playing this stupid game and talking about it as if it's an investment. 
It's like somebody, you know, you're you're in a you're at a party with a bunch of people and they're all talking about their investments and you go, oh, 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 oh man, I I got I gotta tell you, you you your Bitcoin, yeah, chump change. You know, the investment I'm in, it could be worth $385 million next Wednesday when they roll the, when they pull out the balls from the little bumpy plastic thing. Yeah, that's not an investment. And it would be ludicrous to talk about buying lottery tickets as a, as an investment. Well, it's just as stupid to talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, Diet Bitcoin, whatever it is, as an investment, it ain't. It doesn't do anything. It can't grow more valuable except through stupid speculation. Oh, I feel better now. I think I got that off my chest. <laughs> and an astrologer. Come on. Oh, my gosh. So if you're a real investor or you're a real investor talking to others who appear to be idiot investors, have them listen to this podcast. There is no reason except as a speculation, i.e. gambling. That is gambling. I got chewed out for using the term i.e. I use i.e. in a sentence all the time. Uh, that is gambling. <laughs> Supposedly only writers are allowed to use i.e. Speakers have to say that is. Seriously, I got chewed out for saying that. I don't even know where I was going with that. I, I just think it's stupid. Just stop. Unless you like losing money. Go for it. You're a grown-up. You can do whatever you want. You can be stupid. And if you're actually, honestly, you're thinking about it and that argument didn't dissuade you, call me. 855-935-TALK. We can talk about it. We can talk about it on the show on Saturday from uh, 3 to 5 Eastern. 855-935-TALK. Look at that. It's the same phone number. Or send me a note at TalkingRealMoney.com. TalkingRealMoney.com. You can also, this is cool too, when you go to TalkingRealMoney.com and hit the contact form, you can like speak like I'm doing right now through your mic on your computer and leave a question kind of like this. Hello, Tom and Don. This is Ray. I really appreciate your show. find it very educational. A couple of questions for you. There's three securities I'm interested in. One being a sector security. It's XLI. And I know you guys have talked about sectors and I wanted some more intake input on what you thought of this particular account. It's an ETF. Another one is... GDX, the Vandex Vectors Gold Miners ETF. And the third fund is Block Amplify. It's a blockchain leaders ETF. The letters for that are BLOK. What do you take on those three funds? Um, I listened for the last couple of years and really appreciate what you guys do. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for the call. Thanks for listening and being a loyal listener. Uh, Sector, let's start with the concept of sector funds in general. Okay. Listen carefully. I think they're a waste of time. There's no point in holding sector funds. Why would you buy a sector fund? Because you believe that that sector is going to do well in the future. Well, 
Are you the only one in the world with that knowledge? Well, of course, the answer is absolutely not. You're you're in good company. There are a lot of people who, for one reason or another, think gold's going to go up or blockchain stocks or, you know, they're not even really. I, I looked at the whole portfolio. They're not even really blockchain stocks. It's like Square and PayPal. Oh, well. So they're financial services, internet financial services stocks. But the, the the fact remains that the only reason people buy sector funds is to bet on an outsized increase in that sector based on some knowledge they think they possess that few others possess. Well, everybody knows it. So if you're buying into that sector, the price is already where it should be. It's fairly priced based on that future expectation. So you're wasting your time. You're spinning your wheels and you're gambling. Because here are another couple of facts about sector funds. One, they tend to be very expensive. That block, B-L-O-K, the banking ETF, its expense ratio is seven-tenths of one percent. That's ridiculous for an exchange-traded fund where most of them run right around one-tenth of one percent. It's seven times more expensive. It's seven times more expensive. GDX, the gold mining ETF, it's over half a percent. Again, that's expensive. And XLI, it's just big industrial companies. It's not as expensive, but it's more expensive than a total stock market index ETF. So they're gambles. Everybody thinks they can beat the market, but the reality is nobody does it. Nobody does it in practice. There will always be the anecdotal story of somebody who did, but the reality is far more lose than win. Our advice is, and I believe probably always will be, you will own the stocks in XLI. You will own the stocks in GDX. You will own the stocks in BLOK in the correct proportions to their contribution to the global economy. If you have a globally diversified fund like, oh, let's say the ETF VT, for example, which has an expense ratio of zero eight percent or eight one hundredths of one percent and instead of only 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 owning you know half a dozen a dozen 50 stocks whatever it might be in these other portfolios actually in most of them i think it's like 50 stocks instead of owning just 50 stocks or so it it owns a mere eight thousand seven hundred and thirty two it's better to be the market than to try to beat the market and remember your questions take precedence over everything else. We want to answer your questions. That's why we have so many ways of sending them in. You can go to TalkingRealMoney.com and use the voice recording or call 855-935-TALK and leave your question. Or you can type it up like so many people seem to enjoy doing at TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. The next question topic is investing and home buying. A little background. My fiancé and I are both 24, and our combined income is $148,000 pre-tax. We contribute $20,000 of our combined income to retirement accounts. This is before tax as well. First question. 
we're both using Acorns, which has been a great starting point for our Roth IRAs and investment accounts. I'm confident we can maintain the consistent discipline of saving outside Acorns. When would you suggest we move to a custodian like Vanguard for these accounts? Well, let's start with that one. I'll do them in, your, in order. I don't think that you need to. The ETFs that Acorns has are fine. You could stay there forever if you wanted to. Their fee structure is reasonable. I mean, okay, at Vanguard, you wouldn't pay the dollar a month, but I don't think that's going to kill you. Uh, my, I don't see any hurry to move them. I really don't. I, I like the, the broad diversification. I'm fine with it. You can leave it there for years. Second question. My fiance and I are saving money for our first home, about 3000 a month in addition to our retirement accounts. This is completely a lifestyle decision and not considered an investment for us. Par parenthetically, good for you. That's a wise way of making this, the decision. We have about 60000 in cash saved to date for a down payment. We've stayed away from investing this money in the market over the past year or so because of how soon we know we'll need the money. We plan to get married this spring and hope to find the right home for ourselves this summer. Do you have a rule of thumb for how much to spend on monthly mortgage payments? What kind of mortgage term and down payment would you recommend for first-time home buyers like ourselves? This would not be our forever home. We anticipate living in this home for five to ten years. I'll do that, and then there's a PS. Okay, let's do the mortgage first. Let's do the home. Well, one, you live in the Puget Sound region, I see which means it's not a cheap place to buy a home. So this rule of thumb, the rule of thumb for buying a house is try to keep your monthly payment for the house down to about 25% of your take-home income. Um, third is fine. You don't want to go much above that because you don't want to force yourself at some point to stop saving for retirement, which is the most important financial decision you can make in your 20s. Oh my gosh, does it make a difference? I'd buy a little less house and spend a lot less money. Since you're not planning to stay in the house for a long time, I would make it comfortable, a comfortable home, but don't go crazy. You're doing so well elsewhere it's not a great place to tie up a bunch of money anyway. You want to put down almost as little as you can without invoking ridiculous mortgage insurance. So uh, the the right number, it's going to depend on where you're looking, what price range, whether you're looking at single families or, or townhomes. Remember, townhomes and condominiums have terrible appreciation potential generally. In fact, they tend to be some of the few things in real estate that in a bad downturn will actually tank. I mean, really tank. So just be careful, but you're not going to be there forever. It's You're going to kind of own it, but you're never going to fully own it. It's like renting with a down payment, which is why I'm not that opposed, particularly early in life, to continuing to rent because it's it may not be a good investment. You shouldn't look at housing as an investment anyway, and you're not, you're not. But I'm trying to understand why you would want to tie up 60, 70, 80, 100,000 dollars in all of this wonderful cash you've saved in a house that you're just going to get out of in five to 10 years. I don't know. Lifestyle decision. You're right. Then there's a PS, and I probably should have read this first. A lot of the info I find online for home buying comes from Dave Ramsey, and I know how much you two agree with him. Well, about 
debt, maybe, but not about paying down a home. No, no, I totally disagree with him on that. For what it's worth, he's adamant about a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage and spending a maximum of 25% of take-home pay on mortgage payments. I agree with him on the second part. I do not agree with him on the first part. I think you're better off if the rates are similar, uh, paying less toward the house and paying more towards your investments for those who are able to do it. Now, the people he's talking to are generally not those who are going to take the difference and always put it in investments, but you sound like you are. You sound like you are. So a 20-year, even a 30-year, you're not going to stay there. You're not going to pay it down. The only difference between a 15 and a 30 is the interest rate. And at these low rates, those differences aren't all that great. I do not believe, though, and I'll continue with your thoughts, I'm not sure this considers increases in salary or the amount of time a person plans to live in their home. He's all about paying off the mortgage at all costs rather than investing. I think he's totally dead wrong, but Dave is obsessed with debt, and, and I understand why. Because people have gotten into way too much debt. Way too much. But I think he takes things too far. Way too far. And I think his investment his investment advice is so horrible that it's no wonder he doesn't tell people to invest. They'd, they'd lose a lot in commissions to their stockbroker. Oh, finally, he says, I listen to your show every morning on my way to work and learn something new every day. Thanks for what you do. Thank you for listening, both of you. And thank you for the question. And thank you all for being a part of the Talking Real Money podcast and listening every day on your way to or from work or as you hang out in the house doing whatever it is you do or go on a bike ride or walk around or I don't know. There's so many ways to listen. I just appreciate you listening. And I would also truly appreciate, and I know Tom would too, all of us would, you sharing the podcast. There's no need to keep it to yourself. It is an almost infinite, there's almost an infinite supply of podcast. So uh, let everybody in on it. Tell friends. And if the spirit moves you, if you feel moved, go to Apple Podcasts, which is the place where you can leave reviews. Very few other places allow that. Go to Apple Podcasts and tell everybody, including us, what you think. Thanks for listening. Take good care. Be smart about money. Call if you have a problem, 855-935-TALK, or send a question in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention, I did, I almost forgot to mention RetireMeet. RetireMeet 2021 is going to be RetireMeet America 2021, which is great for all of you listening to the podcast, because this is your chance to attend without flying to Seattle. You can listen at home. Come as you are got to make your own lunch, but otherwise, come as you are. And the good news about no lunch is that means there's also no cost. So sign up for Retire Me America, Retire Me America 2021 at retiremeet.com. And you're going to love what we've got lined up. We've got a lot of great experts on a lot of interesting retirement topics. And we also have two awesome keynote speakers, two keynote speakers. The inimitable Paul Merriman of the Merriman Educational Foundation and author of a bunch of books and the founder of Dimensional Funds, the chairman of the board, hard to get as a guest, the guy, the man for whom the Booth School of Business at the University of Chicago is named, Mr. David Booth, will also be there taking questions from Tom and from me. 
and you, we hope you'll be there. So go sign up. It's free. Retiremeet.com. It's on February 20th. It's uh, five hours or so, but you can come and go if you want. Go, go check it out. Retiremeet.com. Thanks for being there again. I'm Don McDonald. Talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?